Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon on this Saturday in December. The ground is white for the first time and who knows how long. Finally got some snow. Likely, if you're not in Florida, you're probably feeling it too. I, I am not. My partner, I'll introduce in a minute, is not here today for the first of five episodes as the season is just three days away, four days for the Cavs' first game since March the 10th against Chicago. Wanted to do something a little different, you know, spice it up. I've been a Cavs fan for practically my whole life. Not old enough to have lived through all the years, but I'll have a couple of guests over the next couple of weeks. We'll be taking a look at every decade. We're going to go 70s today, got 80s next week, then 90s, then 2000s, and of course, <clears throat> finishing with the 2010s. So, the Cleveland Cavaliers came to be in 1970. That is when they started. How did they become the Cleveland Cavaliers? Long story short, man, by the name of Jerry Tomko came up with the name. It was a whole uh, contest, a submission for it. Among the names that did not win were the Foresters, the Jays, the Towers, and Presidents. As we'll get to in the 80s, uh, owner Ted Stepien had debated moving them to Toronto and naming them the Towers. The Towers actually stayed in play for a long time, but they got the Cavaliers. Why the Cavaliers? Jerry, who won and then was never compensated, at least not for 40 years, said that Cavaliers represent a group of daring, fearless men whose life pact was never surrendered no matter what the odds. And Justin, as we're going to go back into the 70s, Justin Matcham, today's guest, happy to have him. Uh, Justin, that sums up when they finally got their title in year 47. They were down 3-1, they never surrendered, and they all stayed together. And I think that's the essence of what the Cavs are and always have been. Yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting – I didn't know the whole backstory behind how they got the name, but it's definitely – it deserving to be a winner and yeah happy to be on here with you today zach let's let's dive into all this yeah we're talking about the 1970s the first pick in Cavs history of course the most basic of basic names everybody <laughs> we all know a john we all know a johnson the Cavs' first ever draft pick justin was john johnson who was the first of many successful first round picks for the Cavs. he wasn't long for cleveland but i think that you took a guy like that i think it set the tone for how they wanted to draft their players yeah, you look at John Johnson, their second overall pick in that first year. Um, ended up playing, I think, 14 years total in the NBA. Um, had a couple of all-star years early in his career. You know, in his rookie season, put up 16.5 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Second year, seven rebounds or, – or 17 points, eight rebounds, and five assists. This guy was a good player. You know, I mean, obviously this was – it seemed like he kind of peaked early. But overall – a solid start to, you know, what would be a rough few years here to start it off, but interesting pick. And yeah, John Johnson, not a guy that anybody today knows, but someone who at the time seemed like a, a quality player. Yeah. The Cavs had a lot of talented guys like that. You know, another guy I really like, he didn't, we don't get, we aren't really going to talk about him because he came in and think it was in 79, but Mike Mitchell ended up with a really nice run, but you know, What's really cool about this today, Justin, is that we get to talk about two guys that are now the color analysts for the Cavs next to fantastic play-by-play -play guys. We got Austin Carr came in the first round pick. I think it was a 71-72 season. Yes. So, yeah, he was the first number one pick in franchise history. And then a couple of years later, they get Jim Jones. And, I mean, both of those guys, without, well, we're going to take a look at each year, but both of those guys had some really nice runs and were part of the of – the, First Cavs team to ever make the playoffs and obviously first team to win a series in the playoffs as well. 
yeah, looking at Austin Carr, like you said as well, um, the first number one overall pick in the history of the franchise. Obviously, Mr. Cavalier had 19, not 19, nine seasons in Cleveland, messing up my words here, 16 points per game. Yeah. Uh, you know, was an all-star, somebody who probably, you know, didn't reach his potential as a player due to injuries. Uh, he was somebody who dealt with a lot of that throughout his career and um, probably cut his career short. But, yeah, him, Jim Jones, uh, you know, a couple of quality players. Jones, obviously, you know, another another guy who was on the team for, for quite a while. But, yeah, another another trend if you kind of look at, you know, just this, this first half of the decade here. You got second overall, first overall, third overall, second overall, eighth overall, you know, as their picks. So some, some quality pickups in here, but still not the most talented team in the world. No, and you look at those first couple of years, you know, the likes of Walt Wesley, who averaged 14 and 8, and McCoy McLemore, one of my favorite names ever in the NBA, averaged 12 McCoy and McCoy McLemore. McCoy McLemore. Forget about Ben McLemore. You know, forget naming your kid McCoy, definitely something you did back in the 50s, or the 40s, <laughs> I should say. He, came in, he was born in the 40s, RIP, and he died in 2009, the 60s. But what a great name it was. He was solid. You know, they had a lot of talent. You know, John Johnson, yeah, he lasted three years with the Cavs. He averaged 16-7, almost five assists. They had Lenny Wilkins, who averaged 19 and eight assists. He'd become the, um, the first great coach in uh, Cavs franchise history. We're going to talk about him in a couple weeks as a coach. You know, they had Barry Clemens, who was okay. You know, Dwight Davis was a very high pick. He averaged 10 and seven. But I think that the big thing, Justin, the underlying theme with these early Cavs teams was that you had – what you don't, you haven't had since then, maybe besides Lenny Wilkins, who wasn't a coach forever, is consistency at the head coaching position. Because as we've known as Cavs fans, uh, you know, Mike Brown was the best Cavs coach. He lasted five years. Tyloo only lasted two. Black got fired in year two. Byron Scott was the coach for three years. You know, Paul Silas was only there for a year and a half. John Lucas got fired in his second year. Randy Whitman had two years. Mike Fratello, who's considered a great coach, only had six so just the fact that Bill Fitch came in, young man, 36, led them for nine years, I think got the franchise off to the start they needed, you know, Justin, because you look at you know, the Bobcats when they came in as an expansion franchise, they couldn't get a good head coach, which is why it took seven years for a playoff trip. It took the Cavs in year six. I just think having Fitch there helped them grow, and they had a plan of who they want and what kind of guys he liked to coach. Yeah, well, you mentioned, you know, the Cavaliers kind of inconsistency at the head coach position since you forgot to mention John Beeline, who was an anchor anchor at the position for a full 40 games. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Bill Fitch came in, you know, with that first team, lasted until 1979. Um, You know, that season that he resigned, they went, you know, 30 and 52. Um, But was was coach of the year in 75-76? they won 49 games that year, I believe. Had, a, had an overall record of 304 and 454 as the coach of the Cavs. Again, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of talent to work with, especially early on. Being an expansion team, that's just the way it is, especially not an expansion team in a New York or in L.A. or wherever. You know, where, I mean, even in a time where, you know, limited free agency was not what it is today. You know, the player movement was very, very limited in how players moved. But – you still had guys like Kareem who, you know, were bolting to LA from a place like Milwaukee. I, I can't really think of a, a specific, you know, 
comparison. I don't know that there is one to that with the Cavs, but it's not like anyone was bolting from where they were to, to try to get to Cleveland or to Richfield where they were actually playing. So, you know, that's a respectable record. Obviously he won coach of the year, um, went on to coach the Celtics as well as the Rockets, Nets and Clippers had a very, very, very long career as a very successful coach, a champion in Boston. But um, looking a little bit more, do you want to get into that 1975-1976 year? Yeah, so the miracle of Richfield happened. Let's talk about the regular season first, Justin. The Cavs went 49-33. and They made their first playoff trip. They had been building on it. They went 40-42 and the year before, which really not bad at all, given how they had struggled for those first several years. They were number two in the NBA in points allowed per game, which is 99.2. There were 18 teams in the league back then. And we look at some of those stats, and yeah, they were what I liked best about this team, Justin. Seven guys averaged in double figures. You know, the minutes were pretty well spread out. You had AC, Austin Carr, and Campy Russell, both not playing that much, 20 and 24 minutes, 10 and 15 points a game, respectively. You had Jim Brewer dominating with 11 and 11. Obviously, Jim Jones, 16 and 9. You had Jim Clemens running point, Bingo Smith, Dick Snyder. And they were pretty young. You know, five, uh, six of their top seven guys were under 26 or under 27 or under 30, I should say, excuse me. But it was the addition of Nate Thurmond, who he only averaged five and five off the bench. He did average 1.3 blocks, Justin. They were six and 11. They swung a trade to get Nate Thurmond from the Bulls, and they finished the year from that point on 43 and 22. Yeah, like you said, you know, had a rough start to the year, kind of going six and 11 and just looking like they were going nowhere. Um, Nate Thurman, as we kind of know, you know, we've talked about in the past, I mean, you know, why does that guy have his jersey retired? Look at his numbers, look at his stats. It wasn't about the stats with him. I mean, it, it, he had a positive impact on the floor, but it was also about just, you know, what he meant to that team off the floor, the type of leader that he was, the type of locker room voice that he was, and just the impact that he made on the team as a whole, not just during his playing time on the floor. But looking at some other Cavaliers on this team, uh, Dick Snyder, who – we'll get into in a minute who hit a big shot for this team. Uh, Foots Walker was on this team. Foots, yep. Camp, Campy Russell was on this team, the eighth overall pick in 1974. Um, you know, he made an all-star appearance for the Cavs, averaged 16 points a game in this, in this season. Uh, just another, you know, one of those quality players on this team um, and someone who is, you know, still around very much today. But, yeah, this was just a team that, you know, really – had a lot of, you know, not one true superstar, but a lot of really very good players, kind of a, a scrappy team, it seemed like, and an underdog. And we can get into that first round playoff series now. Yeah. So uh, this is their first time in the playoffs. You're going against the Washington Bullets. You know, they have Wes Unseld, you know, Dave Bing. This is a very talented uh, team that they're going against. And you know, it was quite the series. It went to seven. And, of course, you know, it's late in the game. Things are pretty close. And, you know, what What happens? Dick Snyder hits a 12-footer in a two-point win. And then, quote from Austin Carr, Cleveland.com article, it was unreal. People were coming from everywhere. They were frantic. The noise, I will never forget the noise. I'll let you take it away, Justin. Dick Snyder delivered right there. Man. He, that, what a what, – just wow. They did it. Year six, this was when there were uh, only three rounds in the playoffs because you only had 18 teams. Just incredible. Yeah, another kind of quote, I think it was from Austin Carr, was saying in the, in the locker room because of just the noise and the, you know, the craze in the stadium, 
was that they had to actually like physically hold up the whiteboard against the wall because it was falling off from all the noise. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, obviously a tight seven game series came right down to the wire. Um, game seven in you know the Richfield Coliseum, which is where the Cavaliers used to play uh, outside of Cleveland, just kind of in a, the middle of a cornfield, basically. But um, yeah, obviously not a game I've seen. I don't know. That might. I don't know if it is, but that would be a good, like, historical league pass game for the NBA to add if they yeah, have to hit him up. Yeah. But um, Dick Snyder hit a – like, a, basically a 12-foot runner, floater type of shot, you know, to win the game. The Cavaliers won 87 to 85 to upset, you know, the heavily favorited Washington Bullets, like you said, with Wes Unseld, who obviously was a fantastic player who went on to win – a championship a couple of years later with the bullets. Yep. But um, yeah, really just a, a good team that, and you know, they, they got knocked out in the second round against the Celtics, but kind of disappointing that they never really got to see how far this team could go after a shot like that, because Jim Jones, who was, you know, one of the better players in the team broke his foot in practice before the second round started. So like I said, they lost to Boston in six, which still, you know, being without one of your best players and, you know, taking Boston to six games, I forget who it was that said it, but one of the old Cavaliers said, you know, that this was a team that very well could have made the finals if... Nate Thurman. Nate Thurman did have that quote okay, but, you know, said that this was a team that could have made the finals if, you know, Jones was there and was healthy playing. You know, who knows how far this team could have gone. Yeah, and to think that they still took him to six in his absence, I mean, look at the first-round numbers... Jim Jones was he was he was a serious competitor in his seven games he averaged 15 and seven you know Nate Thurman became a starter Nate Thurman in the playoffs averaged seven and nine with two assists two blocks they just missed the rim protection you know Jim Brewer was solid in that area but had they had Jones as well it's all about it was you know keeping keeping the Celtics stars from getting inside they've never had a decade without being one of the best teams of all time doesn't matter if there were 18 teams or 19 or now that we have 30 probably gonna have 31 soon the Celtics still just made a conference finals they've missed the playoffs what once in the last 13 years in actual NBA and the very next year they came back with a vengeance I mean this was basically the Cavaliers who outside the area you're probably not going to meet many fans because they're not around long enough Maybe you have people that, like nowadays, Justin, people flip on the TV and become a fan because they like a player. It's a little different in 1975, 76, but, I mean, it was a great season. They won 49 games. You have uh, Coach Fitch, Coach of the Year, and they they fought Boston. You know, if we look at the series, so they were down 0-2, right? They lost twice yeah. in Boston. And then they came back and they won twice at home, one by five. They won game four by 19, it's 2-2. And then they go to Boston for game five. They lose by five. It was close. They couldn't stop Dave Cowens or Paul Silas. And then, obviously, JoJo White was fantastic. Get to game six. And then lose 94-87 at home. By the way, the Cavs were winning through three quarters in that game six. So if they had played a little better in that final quarter, Justin. Also, three starters played over 40 minutes. That's just the times. But that that was just unfortunate because they really had a chance. And if they had Jim Jones, they could have definitely done it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And just 
you know, looking at just that year as a whole, 1975 and the 1976 season, just really impressive, you know, looking at this team is how they were able to build a team that, you know, was probably an underdog, you know, title contender, but someone who at least seemed like they had an outside shot from, you know, the ground up in six years. That's something that, you know, without really drilling, you know, a true superstar, you know, it's not a Shaquille O'Neal and Orlando type of situation. It's, you know, you, you didn't get that one generational talent. So for them to be able to, you know, come in and build, you know, they finished 15 and 67 in their opening year in 1970, um, you know, and just kind of slowly progressed as time went on. They won 23 games the next year, 32 the year after, 29 the year after that, but then, you know, 40 and 49. It was just, you know, gradual progression, you know, just good to see from a team like this was, you know, just, I think that was this kind of the, how, how this team was, it just kind of showed you just a lot of, a, a, a big group of good players. And obviously adding a guy like Thurman can kind of put you over the top when you just look at, you know, like, like I already said, I don't need to repeat myself, but just the leadership aspect of it. But just, it seemed like, you know, obviously this isn't a team that we got to watch, but it seems like at the time would have been a really, really fun team to watch because, again, you just had so many guys who were scoring and, the, you know, the scoring seemed evenly distributed and they were good. They were really a pretty good team during that mid-70s era. Yeah, and what changed with the very following year, they went 43 and 39. The defense was still number two. Four new teams were added to the league prior to the year and I think if – I don't want to bring fiction into fact, but if you – if you, I'm sure you've seen semi-pro, Justin. You remember the merger year after the Flint Mega Bowl, they added 14 to the NBA. I think that was this period of time in actuality. I think the Pacers, the Spurs, and the Nets joined the NBA, which gave us 22 teams. So, you've seen semi-pro, right? I haven't seen the full movie. I've only oh. seen it in parts. Oh, you have not? Okay. This, this, this was the merger, though, when, you know, there's some ABA teams that were absorbed, the Spurs. Yeah, so, the, so because the there were four more teams, the format became two out of three in the first round. Mm-hmm. So the Cavs get to the bullets, and everything is changed. You know, this is kind of like this year's baseball playoff. They lose game one on the road. They win game two, and then they lose game three. Every game was close. But, you know, Phil Chenier, Elvin Hayes, Wes Unsell, they were just unstoppable. And you turn it into a best of three, you know. You, you throw everything else out. It's just we want to dominate game one, and then we'll probably get hit hard in game two. Game three comes, and we need to adjust to whatever. And obviously they didn't do that. We look at the numbers from the very it, – it's hard to call it a playoff series. It's only best of three. But yeah, it's – it's Cavs like one of these playing games, basically, like the playing tournament that we have now, except it wasn't a playing. It was the actual playoffs. Exactly. But Foots Walker became a starter at this point. You know, he averaged 16 and seven assists in that playoff series. Campy Russell was also a starter, 18 and nine. Nate Thurman's only played one minute. He had lately lost his spot there, unless he got hurt in the beginning of the series. That's on me, but it's hard to. Well, we can do more digging later, but Dixon. You got a whole, decade, a whole decade to research. You're allowed to miss a couple things. <laughs> appreciate that you know Jim Brewer by the way did come into his own he averaged 8-12-2 over a block over a steal I just think they were overwhelmed obviously there was no three-point shot back then so making up uh, deficits in crunch time was always harder because in that time Justin we were a few years away from the three-point line coming in 
you're down by four with 20 seconds, right? And let's say this isn't what happened, mm -hmm. but let's just say Austin Carr gets a two, right? Yeah. Then, you, then you foul the best shooter on the let's say foul Phil Chenier. Phil Chenier makes two, you get two. There's no more making up points unless they miss. When you take away the when you don't have a three yet, it's so much harder. And the Wizards weren't going to just teams weren't just going to miss free throws unless they were centers. Right? Jim Jones didn't miss a free throw in that series. He shot seven of seven. Just fun, fun little fact. But I think that uh, that not having a three-point line, Cavs, I think, could have been great with it. And then just the Bullets, knowing that we don't want to get embarrassed by this uh, this new team for a second year in a row, I think, was just too much for the Cavs to overcome it again in a short series. Yeah, and, and like you said, you mentioned that they lost to the Bullets in 1977-2-1. They ended up getting, quote-unquote, swept by the Knicks the year, a year later in the playoffs in 1978. They lost 2-0 to them and got knocked out again in the first round. Just kind of one thing that's kind of interesting that I thought you could look at was um, looking back at the draft real quick. After that, you know, big 1975-76 season, they drafted Chucky Williams um, 15th overall in the 1976 draft. Someone who only played one season in the league before basically being done with a back injury. Um, you know, I, I'd have to look at the exact draft here, but if, you know, they go in a different direction there, just get somebody who may have contributed and, you know, maybe that – obviously, I think the draft back then was a lot more hit or miss than it is now. Obviously, the draft is still hit or miss now. But if they could have landed a real player there, you know, maybe they could have kept a little bit more momentum than they did. Yeah, fun fact, Alex English was taken in the second round of that draft. I mean <laughs> – one of yeah. the greatest scores of the, of the last 50 years, no question. Obviously, since the Cavs became a team. Nalani Shelton was also a later round pick. Dennis Johnson, one of the best defensive guards of all time, uh, was taken in the second round. I mean, it just – you never really know how it's going to go. You mentioned – I mean, that's just – it's just bad luck. I mean – Adrian Dantley was taken early. Just Mitch Kupchak, what a decent career, was taken by the Bullets, of course, for the Cavs. I mean, in the immediate picks after, there was nothing significant that – Yeah, Alex happened. English was the 23rd. So. Yeah, 23rd pick. So he was he was eight picked later, round two, because there were only 17 teams had a first-round pick. And it's what it is. I mean, I, I'd love to have watched this draft and un, so I can understand a little better without having to research every prospect. And, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, how it goes. But, if yeah, Chucky Williams just one of those guys that sometimes it just doesn't work for yeah. better or worse. Injuries happen. And when it's your back, there's nothing you can do. It's just you want to be able to walk when you're 60 is basically how you look yeah. even <laughs> when you're young. Kind of like yeah. you look at a quarterback. And all, for a few years, Justin, we had all these NFL players, not to get completely off topic, more now it's different than it was then, retiring after one or two years. Some even retired after they get drafted. So it's just about keeping your body preserved. And obviously a back injury in, in the 70s, they didn't have the medical care that they get now. So it's too much. Yeah, and, and you look at, you know, what he did on the floor in his one year. Played 22 games with the Cavs and averaged three minutes in those 22 games. So really just – basically just a wasted pick it seemed like you know yeah. just something that I mean, imagine if this team ends up with an Alex English you know who comes in and plays you know a similar position to him and 
would provide obviously you know what they wish that they could have gotten out of this spot but then you're looking at you know a completely different team for the next you know half decade or really decade yep so just kind of one of those what ifs yeah there's quite a few of them and so we look at some of the big names of the Cavs uh first decade Austin Carr Mike Mitchell Bingo Smith one of the best hairstyles you've ever seen Bingo. Shout out to that Afro. Uh, Walt Wesley was great. You know, Campy, Jim Jones, Lenny Wilkins was very strong as a point guard. But I think all in all, if you examine the decade, Justin, the Cavs made the playoffs three times in 10 years. I wouldn't call it a letdown, but I'd say overall, you, you'd want a little bit more. Given that they made it past the bullets the first time, the fact that they would win four out of the next five games against the Cavs, which constitutes two series wins instead of one. Mm-hmm. You got to call that a bit disappointing. Again, not a letdown, but you got to be disappointed that they couldn't not, build on the first trip. Yeah, not disappointing, but underwhelming, I okay. guess. Yeah, and like I said, you know, there, there were some – obviously, they, Nate Thurman wasn't going to last forever here. He was at the tail end of his career. Um, you had a lot of other guys dealing with injuries. Um, like like we just talked about, you know, with Chucky Williams, um, Austin Carr is someone who, you know, didn't ever really reach his full potential just because of injuries. So th- there are a lot of guys there that – and like I said, you know, it's not like they had that one true superstar who would be able to, you know, keep them at a certain floor of greatness. You know, it was really just a group of, you know, collective – a lot of good players – that just kind of had the stars aligned that one year, but it's, it's, it can be hard to replicate when you don't have that one great guy and it's just a, a group of good guys. So there wasn't, I'm not going to say there wasn't a whole lot to build off of or build around, but it is a lot more difficult in that situation, especially during a time period like this where player movement just wasn't as much of a thing. Free agency wasn't really as much of a thing. Um, trades aren't what they are now, you know, so Overall, yeah, underwhelming, but I can't, th- I can't say that it's a disappointment. I-, I can agree with that. And if we take a look now at who they – so at the end of the decade – Especially for an expansion team, you know, yeah, an expansion team in that decade. Yeah, they started from the bottom, expansion draft, NBA draft. They basically didn't have the opportunity to get – they could only take – because obviously got teams are allowed to protect certain guys. So – but an interesting decision was made. So – I just want a quick flashback to this night. It's the first year the Cavs were a team. ABA was still very, very prominent. And the Denver Rockets. The Denver Rockets fired Joe Belmont pretty early in the season. I think it was after 13 games. And they hired a guy by the name of Stan Albeck, who had been an assistant. Stan went 27-44. and 44. He goes back to being an assistant coach the following year. And then he goes to San Diego for a couple. And then he goes to Kentucky for a couple. And then he becomes a Lakers assistant his first taste of the NBA. End of the 78-79 season, the Cavs had just disappointed again after their three trips to the playoffs. They they went 30 and 52. It was their fewest wins since the 72-73 season. They basically tell Bill Fitch, thank you. You did a good job, but we're gonna go in a different direction. Bill Fitch goes on to the Celtics, where he went 60 games his first two years, mentioning he had a great career. Cavs hire a 48-year-old named Stan Albeck. Albeck after Cleveland, by the way, was very good with the Spurs, and he coached the Nets for two years. And then he was the coach of the 30-52 and 52 Bulls team with MJ that got swept by the Celtics, which we learned a lot about from the documentary series, The Last Dance, yes. uh, the end of spring, beginning of summer. 
So all back comes in and, you know, they were, they were okay. Justin, the Cavs went, we'll dig into some stats, but the Cavs went 37 and 45 under Stan Albeck. The def- they, they, became, they went from being a defensive team to an offensive team under, I know, Bill Fitch. They were top, top three in defense, points allowed. They were fourth worst in points allowed, but they scored the third most. And how'd they do that? Mike Mitchell, 22 and seven. Randy Smith averaged 18. Campy Russell was great. Foots Walker, eight assists a game, was fantastic. They also had the duo of cars. Kenny and Austin were both scorers. Kenny actually scored more points per game. Uh, you know, they even had Walt Frazier. He only played three games, wasn't very healthy. <laughs> Bingo only played eight games. This is a very weird roster. Two cars, Walt Frazier, and barely playing Bingo Smith. But 37 and 45 apparently wasn't enough, and he got canned after one year, that, which I was I think that not we're not going to go 80s, but I think it was Ted Stepien's decision to fire him, if I remember correctly, because he had just, I think, taken ownership of the team in time to make those decisions, which would make more sense. But Albeck was solid, and I mean, if you look at the – we're not going 80s, but by the Cavs would have six – head coaches over the next three years after getting rid of Albeck. So basically all the progress they made right away was undone when they got rid of Bill Fitch, essentially. And when they got rid of Walt Frazier, you know, the the greatest player in Cavaliers history. <laughs> Best rhymer in Cavs history. No disrespect to yeah. any Cleveland rapper. <laughs> but um, we, we got to talk about Clyde a little bit, don't we? I mean – yeah, okay. just kind of one of those weird, you know, you look back at, you know, stars throughout NBA history playing on the wrong teams. Uh, Walt Frazier definitely has that with the Cavs. Um, played three seasons total, um, is age 32, 33, and 34 seasons. Obviously in that final year in 1979-80, only played three games. I don't even know what happened there. Yep. But um, you know, in his first season, again, you know, in 1977, um, played 51 games as this, you know, the point guard for the Cavs. Averaged 16 points, four rebounds, four assists. You know, he was a, still a solid player in that first year. But I do remember reading, you know, as well. Obviously, you know, for him, a complete change to go from, you know, the guy in New York to a place like Cleveland. And I think I remember him saying that it was just, it wasn't the easiest transition and adjustment for him, just because. Again, you know, he was such a beloved figure in New York, and New York is obviously just such a different place from Cleveland. And he said he just never really felt like he fit in in Cleveland like he like he did in New York. So interesting experience, you know, just kind of one of those things. It's kind of one of the, you know, Patrick Ewing on the Magic, Hakeem Olajuwon on the Raptors type deals with, with, um, with Walt here, except he ended up playing parts of three seasons. Yeah, by the way, he got waived – at very early in the season. Was he waived? Okay. Waived on October 19th, 1979. And they, they didn't even – I don't think it was his decision to obviously go there. So what happened was I've never – this is – I don't think this is a rule anymore. Because the Cavs lost Jim Clemens to the Knicks via free agency, uh, basketball reference tells us that he was sent to the Cavaliers as quote-unquote compensation for that yeah summer. that's that's how that used to work i don't yeah. understand what were the knicks i mean what were they doing <laughs> well <laughs> wait, wait, wait look, jim clemens is solid but let me just i, I don't think i'm jumping the gun wall frazier in his final year with the knicks average okay yeah i'm not 17 points four rebounds five assists two steals a game yet he wasn't even an all-star that makes no sense but I mean, <laughs> what are they doing he played 35 minutes a game and they're just gonna say 
we're going to let Jim Clemens take his spot. That is just so Knicks before they were the Knicks. I guess. I guess. I, I mean, let's just look. Jim Clemens, by the way. So when he got to the Knicks for Frazier, I just want to take you through this, Justin. All right. Jim Clemens in his first year, 25 minutes a game, six points, three boards, four assists. Year two, 10 points, three boards, five assists. And then they traded him to the Bullets the following year. I mean, he, and I, there was such a bad decision on so many levels. And let's see, real quick. All right, traded by the they, Knicks. They traded him to, for a third-round pick, which ended up being Frank Brikowski. I love Frank Brikowski for his name. And you can play as Frank Brikowski if you play as the Sonics or Blazers of the 80s in 2K. Fun fact. Um, that, that is just... They basically traded Walt Frazier for Frank Burkowski, whose career saw him average 10 and 5 in five uniforms and just – Frank Burkowski and a few years of Jim Clemens, you know. I mean, and, he was okay in his couple of years there. Maybe, maybe they just saw Walt Frazier's time coming to an end and decided to go with, with Clemens there, you know. Yeah, I guess guys didn't have the longevity that they do now. If LeBron just fun, if LeBron played in the seventies, eighties, he'd probably only have twelve or thirteen seasons, not entering year eighteen at full health. Let's just see the Knicks. They did get to the conference semis in the first year of Clemens, and they won thirty games. That was Willis Reed. So at least at least Jim Clemens got to play for Willis Reed. But I mean, yeah. ooh, then we had the Hubie Brown era in the eighties for the Knicks. It's just it's a oh Rick Pitino coached the Knicks in the eighties. I actually never knew that. You didn't know that? No, not to get off track, but what what, what a weird – Weird Knicks, time. The Knicks might be as bad with the Cavs at coach management, though. Pat Riley only had three, four years. Je- Jeff Van Gundy was great. He only had five, five and a half years, and they fired him. Hubie Brown, that was a weird – Red Holtzman, in his second tenure, only got three years. It's just – I mean, Lapchick was a great coach. It's just a basketball – the history books are weird. I think what the, the point uh, of, obviously, uh, the takeaways of this, Justin, is that we looked through NBA history. Obviously, we weren't alive for the 70s or even the 80s, but it's just such a different time in basketball. I couldn't imagine you know, growing up in an era like that where moves like this happen, the playoffs are different, there's no three-point line, and it's just such a different – it felt normal for them, but it's just such a different time in basketball history. There's just so much more structure to everything now than there was back then. You know, you know, obviously with the CBA now and having all of the rules that there are, there's just you, you know what you're gonna get. Obviously, with the, with a pandemic, you know that changes things a little bit. But it's just there wasn't that you know set of rules like there is now. So, yeah, weird time. Um, a lot of and obviously. Like you look at scouting now, you look at you know front offices now compared to back then. You look at you look at all of that. You know, just there's so much research that goes behind decisions now. So so much more so than back then. So yeah, a lot of just and then part of that's because you can you can pay guys more because it's a bigger sport. So you can you know afford bigger research teams and and bigger decision making teams. But yeah, back then you you do just have a lot of you know kind of you look back through transactions or whatever and just a lot of different weird things that that went on back then. Yeah, and uh, one of the closing notes here I want to look at is again we're trying not try not to mix the '70s and '80s, but it's hard not to when you look at Bill Fitch was the coach again for nine seasons, and then you bring in Stan Allbeck to end the decade. He has his one year. You get rid of him. 
And then they go through six coaches over the next two, five coaches over the next two years. One coach that coached, then got fired, then got rehired as one of the four coaches the following year, uh, which I, I don't understand any of what they did or the fact that you have two all-time great coaches that both got fired by the Cavs in the same year. Also shocking. But, you know, after that season with Stan Allback, Justin, where the Cavs won 37 games, it would take four more years for the playoffs. They wouldn't have another winning season until 1987. It just kind of tells you that we're very lucky as a, a fan base historically to have had a guy like Bill Fitch and ownership that, ownership that believed in him because all these other coaches just kept getting canned left and right. And that's part of the, uh, the issue until Lenny Wilkins and Mike Fratello showed up. So, yeah. Well, before we get out of here, do you want to talk a little bit about these jerseys that they were wearing back then? Yeah, I'll uh, go right ahead. I will uh, follow your lead. Talk All right, well, the uh, jerseys. Yeah, during this, this era, the, you know, the 1970s, they did wear two different sets of jerseys. This was back in the you know, pure wine and gold era. Um, you know, I think they changed it for the 1980-81 season. But for the first, I think, four or five seasons here, they had, you know, kind of what they had. Obviously, their city jerseys this past year were kind of a tribute to every era of the game. But um, there were some tributes to both of these first two early sets of, you know, Cavs jerseys. The very first ones were the, you know, just Cavaliers, wine and gold. They had the red and the, the, the gold jerseys with, you know, the opposite font or opposite color for, you know, the, the font, the text, the number. Uh, they had the kind of the script font with um, the feather, which is where that comes from. Yep. A great jersey. Um, one, one of the better ones, I think, that they've had, honestly. And then looking after that, you know, from that 1974 to 1980 was another interesting one. That was kind of where they had the stripes down the side. Um, the the white, gold, and red, just almost not not really stripes all the way, but just down the sides and along the sides of the jerseys and the shorts. Um, same wine and gold, you know, color scheme. Uh, a little bit more white in these than the other ones, but overall, just some some really nice jerseys. That uh, it was kind of cool to see those come back in these this previous city jerseys, like I said. But um, overall. I think you look at the the 80s. The 80s were kind of weird to start. Like, they ended up changing their, their gold color yeah, for the first were. two years, and yeah, it by the was way, just kind of ugly. 66 and 180 in the years they wore the gold jerseys. I think that was the real problem. Nothing else. Yeah. It was the jerseys. <laughs> That's it. There was the jerseys. <laughs> it was the jerseys. But, you know, you look after that, you know, that they, they kind of changed to orange and blue for a while. They changed to, to orange and blue basically until, you know, that I think it was – was it 2003 when they – was that the first year that they had the – like the, the 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 more red jerseys with like the – if you think of like LeBron era jerseys? Yeah, let's see. Uh, looking I think that was 2003 yeah. when they first introduced those. Yeah, so they were in the black and orange for a while in the Z era, Ricky Davis. Yeah, when LeBron came, they redid it right away. They used those for six years. Yeah, it was LeBron's rookie season was the first time we saw the the new shade of red. Mm -hmm. And that was a great era overall. And then, you know, we brought, they brought the Navy blue in as soon. And you think of the Navy blue eras as the first chip. And then they had that interesting, you know, blue and yellow kind of took colors from the first two decades with that 0809 look 
They brought mm-hmm. back the, the Golds for a year, remember, when the year they got Shaq, they had the Maroon Red, which they haven't done. And they're, there's a lot of – they've done a really nice tribute job over the years. And then they the, have the rebrand uh, before the 2010 season. So, you know, they, yeah, the- uh, they did a lot. They, uh, they, I love – Obviously, it's more about the '70s today, but overall, I mean, the Cavs, uh, just their jersey collection has always, always been exciting to me. It's always been, yeah, it has personally. been. But uh, yeah, the the wine and gold definitely belongs to the '70s. They they kind of changed it up for a long time there. But after that, you know, obviously the the blue and orange color scheme, which is a, another great one. But um, definitely a fan of these these you know classic jerseys that they wore. Yeah, no, no question. And as we look back at the 70s, you know, big shout outs, Bill Fitch, nine years at the helm as head coach, you know, Austin Carr, Campy Russell, still big parts of the organization, Jim Jones. And when we talk about the 80s next week, and we talk a lot about Joe Tate, not yet, we're gonna get to that next time next week, there's a lot to say. Basically, Joe Tate is at the center of the major issues of the Cavs in the 80s. It's very rare for a broadcaster to be at the center, but we'll get to that next week. But Justin, any closing thoughts before I wrap up and uh, we close this for the week? Uh, shout out to Foots Walker and McCoy Macklemore. <laughs> yeah, two of the. That's what I got. <laughs> well, you know, if we go McCoy Walker and Foots Macklemore. Might be the greatest name crossover we've ever had. I wish. Yeah, I, I think Foots Macklemore is. Something that you know, it's it's disappointing that people aren't nicknamed Foots anymore because that'd be a great combination of names to see at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see. Maybe we'll have to build our own custom jerseys for the uh, the coronation of everything. But you know, that'll do it for the '70s edition of the Cavs History Mini Series for Justin Match, Mom Zach Weiss. Hope you all enjoyed it. So be on, you know, catch it on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, wherever you enjoy your podcast. Hope everyone enjoys. We'll see you in seven days' time talking about the 80s.